0: Good morning, Skyline, and uh, I hope everybody's having a uh, happy Labor Day weekend. Uh, We've got some great weather out there to uh, celebrate, that's for sure. When Pastor Chris asked me to speak this weekend, uh, he told me that uh, we were not going to be in the middle of a message series, so I could go ahead and choose my own topic. And uh, in some ways, that makes it more difficult Uh, The world is your playground, and you have to kind of narrow down your focus, and uh, in some ways it's easier just to be told what to speak on. Um, But the message title today, as you've heard, is Take the Initiative. And I really believe that that God has spoken to my heart, um, and it's something that He wants me to share, and it's something that in some way, shape, or form, I think He wants to communicate to you today. So whether it's something totally brand new that he's going to drop on you for the first time, or whether it's part of an ongoing conversation maybe that that he's been having with you, whichever it is, I hope that you'll listen for his voice today among my words. Uh, So let's get right to it. The year was 1980, and I was a sophomore, at Stevens Institute of Technology in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, I had a roommate that year whose name was Glenn Whitman. Uh, Glenn was a really good soccer player from Livingston High School. Uh, He was much better than I ever was. Um, But the thing that we had in common the most was that we were both uh, believers in Christ. And that's how we ended up in the same room uh, in our sophomore year. Despite the fact that we were Christians, we both had a penchant for playing nasty um, tricks on one another. Um, we love to, to do that. And I remember one day I was in a shower. It was actually like a common area shower. And a nice warm stream of water I was rinsing the shampoo out of my hair. And then, out of the blue, this huge bucket. Of ice water with all the ice cubes that he had gathered from the ice machine downstairs still in it, right? Came pouring down on my head. It's a, a very rude awakening. Uh, but that's the kind of stuff that we liked to do to each other. And I remember reading a book back at that time about a Christian college student who had a really hard time getting up early in the morning. Uh, we had. Um, are tests. They were called zero-hour tests, where before any of the regularly scheduled periods, you'd have your tests. It was really early in the morning. It was hard to get up for. So, so this student uh, that I read about had a unique way of battling that fatigue. He uh, printed out on a computer banner, large banner, uh, and posted it up over his bed, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 9. So imagine waking up every morning, and the first thing that you see staring down at you from the ceiling is this. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? So that story actually uh, became an inspiration for me in in a manner of speaking. Um, So I had this idea, because I had to get back at Glen for the ice cubes, So uh, we had a collection of uh, Christian music that we listened to, and and one of the artists was Keith Green. Now, Keith Green was known for having kind of an edge to his songs, both the music and the lyrics. And uh, there was this one song that I had on this album, and the title of it was Asleep in the Light. And I just want to read a few, I'm not going to sing it, but... I want to read a few of the verses uh, from this song, and then you'll see how it plays into the story. So Keith said, the the world is sleeping in the dark, that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the dead, and you, you can't even get out of bed. So, I and mean, that was a serious song, but I had a, a devious plan for it. Um, because one day when, I think Glenn probably had been up late working on a term paper or something, I had an early class, so I had to get up. So he didn't, so he's trying to sleep in. And I figured, well, if I'm up, why shouldn't he be up? So I get out my record, I put it on the turntable, I have the volume turned all the way down. I cue up the song, right? I wait for it to get to the spot, right? And then when it gets to Jesus rose from the dead and you, and I just cranked it as loud as it would go, you can't even get out of bed. Well, uh, he woke up, uh, but he wasn't eh, very happy about it, um, as I recall. The word today um, that we want to share with you is initiative. Um, a simple and easy uh, to remember definition is this. It's my willingness to take the first step when called on to do something. My willingness to take the first step when called on to do something. Now, that day back in the dorm room, uh, Keith was calling on Glenn to do something. And uh, as an eyewitness to what happened after, I can faithfully report that Glenn was not willing to take that first step. But for me, it's, it's um, the getting-out-of-the-bed thing is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I have all kinds of great intentions, uh, a lot of it about men's ministry, um, things from calling the guys in between our meetings uh, to planning uh, elaborate um, retreats that we can go on, where we can um, learn important things. Uh, but I struggle with taking the first step, and all of these things, Um, that I know is something that I want to do. I struggle with taking the first step. It's always the hardest. And so I'm wondering today, how about you? Uh, When you get an idea to do something, how hard is it for you to get out of the starting box and get going? And in fact, how would you rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in this area of initiative? Go ahead and, and, in your mind, or if you have a little piece of paper, or even better, write it down. What, what would be your score? 1 is the lowest, 10 is great initiative. Where do, you, where do you fit on that scale? Today, I'd like to explore with you what the Bible has to say about this idea of initiative. But before we go any further, we're going to actually have to define our terms just a little bit more narrowly. See, I would submit to you that there's a difference between ordinary human initiative and what we'll call spiritual initiative. Well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is where the call comes from. Remember our definition, my willingness to take the first step when called on to do something. So if the call comes from your own inner self, or if the call comes from another person, maybe from Keith Green's song. That, I would submit to you, is human initiative. You know, you respond to someone else, you respond to yourself, that's human initiative. But what if the call comes from God himself? When that happens and you take the first step, that's spiritual initiative. And so we're going to look at that a little bit more closely today. So... Well, where in the Bible do we find the Bible talking about this? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to share um, from several passages. Uh, The first one we're going to start with is in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to start reading at verse 11. It says there, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, one of the things you're going to see in these passages that we're going to look at is this idea of light and darkness is tied in with the idea of sleep and being called to awaken. awaken. So have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, we could preach a whole message about those first three verses. There's a lot there. Um, But I don't have time to do that this morning. I want you to focus in just on verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead. So, this verse is not talking about physical sleep, right? It's, it's rise up from the dead clearly refers to our spiritual life. But here's the really interesting thing that I didn't necessarily appreciate. The remarkable thing about spiritual initiative is that God doesn't get us up, He says, You, you rise up from the dead and then Christ will shine on you. The life and the power that we get from God comes after we get up and get going. So the big idea for today is this. I experience God's power in my life the moment I get up and get going in response to his command. So if you get nothing else today, I want you to get this big idea. So I'm going to say it again. I experience God's power in my life the moment I get up and get going in response to His command. So in the time that we have left, we're going to look at about three more passages of Scripture that have this concept in it, where either sleep, physical or spiritual, is followed by a distinct get-out-of-bed call. And there's a, a really neat way to identify these these calls that we see in the scripture. It's going to be some variation of the command to arise. So it's either going to be arise, it's going to be rise up, it's going to say get up, or it's simply going to say up. And whenever you see that in scripture, you can apply this same test, this, this initiative test that God is calling me to take the initiative in something when you see that phrase. So let's start with the first one. It's uh, from the Old Testament uh, prophet Elijah. And the story is um, recorded for us in 1 Kings. Now just a little bit of background on this. Elijah has just performed one of the greatest miracles that he ever performed through God's power in the nation of Israel. It hadn't rained for three years after he prayed for it not to rain. You see the king and the queen at the time were evil and doing uh, things that were evil. So God had placed judgment on that particular um, leadership. And they didn't like him. And then they had this showdown where he got together with all the prophets, uh, who were false prophets. They were basically the yes men, the king and queen, right? Uh, but they weren't t- speaking the truth. And at this showdown, they all called on God God, or their gods, um, to devour the sacrifices they had prepared, um, but only Elijah and and the true God came through. At the end of that, God tells Elijah to kill all of the false prophets, and this is what happens next. Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, the queen, all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so may the gods, little g, since you didn't believe in the true God, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, the prophets, by this time tomorrow. Well, the queen wasn't a fan of Elijah, and she made that very well known. And then it goes on to say, Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah was depressed. He had just seen God do this tremendous miracle through him on a national scale, but now he feared for his life, and it led him to become so depressed that he actually had lost the will to live on. So some brief thoughts this morning about depression. Number one is depression affects us all. None of us are immune to it. If we didn't have the capacity to be depressed, we wouldn't also have the capacity to be elated or elevated. And finally, there are things in this world that are designed to depress us. For instance, things associated with death. And you look at what we've been through with the COVID-19 and the deaths of people that we know that have been taken from this, and just the, the tremendous pressure it's put on families to be isolated, all of that drives the depression cycle. People who have witnessed tremendous death and destruction in war struggle with depression. And I mean, I've read the stories, but unless you've actually witnessed it, you, you can't know what they're going through and fighting this. And the death of a loved one. Uh, Our family is actually dealing with this um, right now this morning. My mother-in-law had a a massive stroke a week ago. And uh, she's home now, but uh, under hospice care. And and we don't expect her uh, to live much longer. So depression is all around us. And it's going to come knocking at our door at some point. But I want you to notice what God calls on Elijah to do next. In verse 5, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Notice the sleep. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Arise and eat. That seems like pretty simplistic advice for somebody who's depressed and, and suicidal. God doesn't give him a glorious new vision of some next mountaintop experience that he's taking him to. He simply calls him to do the most simple and natural thing and to believe that God is in that. See, that's the key. Is God in it with me or am I alone? And that's the call that God gave to Elijah. So wake up call number one, the spiritual initiative, spiritual initiative is the antidote for depression. So when you're feeling depressed, listen for the Spirit's voice in the simple and the mundane things. It could be the equivalent of arise and eat, and then take the initiative to obey His call. Well, There's the second story that we can look at, and this time it's from the New Testament. And uh, this is where Jesus uh, has taken and, and, and brought his disciples to a garden, and it's right before he's about to be arrested, which will eventually lead to his crucifixion. We pick up that story in Matthew 26 and verse 40. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, the the disciples went to sleep when they should have stayed awake. No doubt that was the source of much despair in their lives when they recognized what they had done. And this despair, like depression, is an ordinary human experience. The sense of having done something that's irreversible tends to make us despair. Or realizing that we've missed out on a magnificent opportunity that we can't get back. That can sink us into despair. But notice what Jesus said to the disciples, and it's in two clearly distinct parts. First, he says, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But in the very next breath, he says, up, let's be going. So how do we make sense of that? Jesus is saying two totally opposite things in almost the same time. Well, essentially, I think what he's saying is this. What's done is done. The opportunity to pray now is lost forever. But get up and let's get moving on to the next thing anyway. You see, spiritual initiative is the antidote for despair. So when you find yourself in the grip of despair... Listen for the voice of Jesus and take the initiative to obey his call to do two things. Let the past sleep. And by that, you have to let go of some of the failures. You can't agonize over them. You can't let that paralyze you so that you're not going to move forward with him anymore. And the way that we let the past sleep is recognizing that whatever that past is, has been covered by the grace of God. In the grace of God, we can let the past sleep and we can wake up to move on to the possibilities of the future. A third passage that we can look at, uh, and this will be the last one, is Isaiah chapter 60. Go back to the Old Testament. And this time, the command comes right at the beginning of the passage. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 60, Arise, shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. You see, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn." So I'm wondering, do you know any people that you would say walk around through life as if there's this rain cloud that's just constantly like raining on their head? You know people like that, right? For them, life is darkness and drudgery. I think of the uh, character in the book Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. Right? is me? <laughs> Did you know that how you handle drudgery is one of the finest tests of character that there is? Drudgery is work that we think is far from ideal and far from meaningful. Have you ever had a job like that? See, this is, this is how I'm going to connect it to Labor Day, right, right here. <laughs> Have you ever had a job that felt like it was drudgery? Better question would be, who hasn't had a job that's felt like that at some time, right? We all have that in our lives. In that moment, we are tested to see if we will give in to the darkness of drudgery. And if drudgery is to be transformed into something that shines like the glory of God, it will take two things. And by now, you should know what those two things are. God's call, and my obedience. So, I want to share with you this one other passage that goes along with this. And uh, it's how Jesus, who, remember, was God in a man's body, transformed the drudgery of washing some people's feet into an act of brightness. And in John 13, we read the story. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have done and have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. In another passage, it says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for human masters. And there's the call. In the midst of our drudgery, God inspires us to work and to serve with all our heart as if serving directly for Him. And so that brings us to wake-up call number three. And that is that spiritual initiative is the antidote for drudgery we've seen that it's the antidote for depression, it's the antidote for despair, and it's also the antidote for drudgery. So when you find yourself being overtaken by the darkness of drudgery, obey God's call to rise and shine. Remember, when God does anything through you, he transforms it into something special. So in closing, I want to ask you this question. What experience of your life has you defeated today? Is it depression, despair, drudgery, or something else? Whether you know it or not, Jesus is calling you to get out of bed this morning. Can you hear him? Will you obey him? Will you take the initiative to take the first step? He will meet you there and give you the power to live in that situation well. But we must take the initiative. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do not leave us in the middle of our depression or in the middle of our despair or when we're just feeling the darkness of drudgery. But you issue your call to us at that point in time. You don't actually get us up, but you call us to get up. And then it becomes a matter of our obedience to hear your voice and to obey and to take the first step. And when we do that, you show up with your power. And you help us to live well in the moment. Father, I pray that we would recognize this today and in all of the moments where we're, we're tempted this week to just go to sleep and forget about living for you. Father, wake us up with your call. And then I pray that each of my brothers and sisters will take the initiative this week to obey that call. In Jesus' name, amen.